0: Father, we thank you that we have an environment where we can get information. And I pray in the secular terms that as we get this information, that we would be able to use the spiritual tools that you have given us, the tool of discernment, the gift of discernment. That we can determine what right and wrong is, what good and bad is, that we wouldn't be confused about that. For you have given us a lighthouse in the midst of a storm that we can look to and we can gain wisdom and understanding, just as the book of Proverbs told us earlier. I would ask, Lord, that you would fill us full of that wisdom and understanding, give us purpose and direction Give us stability in our thoughts. Help us not to fear or wonder what lies ahead. For we know you are the one in control. So as we get into your word and see what Paul told Timothy, I pray that we could apply it to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 7, he says, For God did not give us the spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I memorized this in the King James Uh, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a mind that is sound. That we are sound in our thinking. That we're not easily shaken. And I love that God has given us these three things. It seems that in some ways, Timothy was a, a little reluctant as a Christian, as a pastor, as a servant. And Paul was encouraging Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel. And not by your own strength, but by the strength that God provides. And not that you were better than somebody else. This is what Paul has told Timothy. But because of God's grace, it is God who empowers us to stand up against those who oppose the gospel. And for this reason, we should not be ashamed to talk about Jesus giving the gospel and continue to talk about Jesus, even if it results in suffering. Now, in this day and age, is there more of an opportunity to give the gospel or less? There is much more of an opportunity to get the gospel because people are so fearful what's out there. I mean, look what people are doing because of fear. They think that if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to kill somebody. And because of that, they want to wish death upon you. It's, this is just craziness. This goes against what scripture has to say, like love your neighbor as you love yourself or no man has yet not loved himself. And so we're, we're to do... What God said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If we do those things, we're fulfilling the entire law. But the love of most will grow cold as we see the times coming to an end. And that is the case now. We are divided to such a state that I feel we're never going back. And it's just our job to be a witness to give the gospel to join in that and if alaska airlines if you fly on alaska airlines well you might want to consider flying another airline if you can if you can even get on the plane if you have your qr code and that type of thing but we want to make sure we stand up and not because we're taking a political expedient move or we're fighting the secular world that's not what we're supposed to be concentrating on We're supposed to be concentrating on what is good, right, just, and fair according to the Bible and be able to explain that to everybody and take our stands accordingly. For instance, the institutions God has set up, government. We know that God has set that up and we're supposed to be submissive to government. He set up the family and he set up the church. Those are institutions God set up. And the three of those are never to interact or, or usurp authority over another. And yet that's what the Equality Act wants to do is take away our ability to do anything. If somebody came to the church and was an active homosexual and they wanted to be hired by the church. Then it, I would obviously say, no, you can't do that. But then the government would come in and say, that's discrimination based on sexual orientation. And you can be sued for that and you can lose your property. And we already know that this is something in history that I referred to before, that they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. And the government can come in and take any church property that they wanted to. And do you think some people will be targeting churches just for that reason? Of course they will. And they are, they're going to want to wipe out all religion, all morality, except when it comes to to the freedom of sexuality everything else is going to be restricted you can't say what you want to you can't affiliate with who you want to you can't have a history that is blotted out by some type of not even a heinous crime but just a faux pas slip of the tongue and so all of these things are going on we're not to fear but we're to stand up and maintain our ground and this is what paul is going through here paul is trying to tell timothy Stand your ground. Be a witness. Don't be fearful. Don't be timid. Do the work of an evangelist because he probably didn't want to do the work of evangelism. Don't be ashamed of Paul who was in his chains because probably he was ashamed of Paul who was in prison. All of these things. You know, if you're associating with somebody in prison, even back then it would have been a shameful thing. Well, what are you doing going to the prison? And you're associated with him? How dare you do something like that? And and Paul starts telling Timothy don't worry about that stuff just stand your ground and so he goes on in verse 8 and says so don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord and when you see the word so in uh, the King James it's therefore Mike McIntosh I remember being at his church in the mid 80s and he would say whenever you see a therefore you need to see what it's there for And why is it therefore? It's therefore because God has given us these gifts, power, love, and self-discipline. He says, So, as a result of God giving us these gifts, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purposes and grace. I I don't know about you, but you've probably been to a family gathering with uh, other members of the family or guests of the family that are not saved, and maybe you're the one who's been asked to pray because you're the religious one. And so you pray, and maybe you have a discussion about God. Maybe you don't. Uh, But if you do, there seems to be a tenseness. I have been to family gatherings before where a a moral question will come up and we're all sitting around and on couches and and chairs and sitting on the floor and a moral question comes up and you can hear a pin drop on the ground because is this really going to be a discussion here? Can we talk about these things? What better time to talk about morality than at a family gathering or talk about Jesus Christ? And you have to temper your speech a little bit You don't want to turn to the whole family and say, you're all going to hell unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not going to be received very well. God will give you wisdom on what to say and how to kind of curve into the gospel. God is great about giving us this kind of wisdom. But as we will see when we get into chapter two, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And God willing, we will do so. We'll be able to study so that when we have those family gatherings, if you can still gather with five or more people without a mask or inside, it depends on what the laws are going to state in the future, the directives that the CDC is going to give us or the health department. But anyhow, when you get together... And you have these discussions. I think it's great that you have these moral discussions, even though some people you can tell they're just on pins and needles. Like what if you have something that you disagree with somebody else on, especially if there's an atheist there? And how would you talk to an atheist in a family gathering without being too offensive? Well, some things you can pose as questions. You don't have to say like an atheist says, I don't believe that there's a God. You don't have to say so you think you're omniscient, you know everything. The universe is so vast. Do you think you understand everything that is out there, huh? And even beyond? That's an insult. So you would say, "Well, doesn't being an atheist imply omniscience?" You can place it like that. And God gives you wisdom on how to say things like that or if it's about abortion or if it's about euthanasia, all these different things they can be handled in such a way where you're asking questions not that you're ignorant of the particular subject but maybe you want to lead the person normally you cannot force somebody into an opinion they have to arrive at it themselves and therefore to do that you have to lead them with questions and there are some people when i've engaged like this there are some people who are just so slimy They will try to change the subject mid-course. They will go in another direction. They won't focus on whatever it is the particular subject is. And so when we are being witnesses, just like Timothy is supposed to be a witness of the gospel and enjoin people, even though it may eventuate in suffering, Paul says, do it anyway. Get involved in giving the gospel. Now, suffering for the gospel... What exactly does that mean? Well, I think that we should try to anticipate and look forward to an event in which we can share the gospel. Now, what event might that be? Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas is coming up. And there's a chance that you can have, not necessarily to the whole group, maybe just one person. One person that's a family member. One person that's a family acquaintance. You can start out by saying something like, so do you go to church? And they may say, well, no, or yes, uh, or I used to. I used to go to church, but, you know, I I don't know. I can remember one encounter I had. I was on a job. I was working on a job, and I was on the sidewalk, and a guy was running. He was a big guy. He was running past me, and he happened to stop because I Turned off my equipment, and he just wanted to talk. And I just knew this was a God moment, so I stopped. I said, "All right, God, all right." I put the equipment down. I I just sat there and I talked to him for a while. Come to find out, he was raised in the church. He stopped going to the church. His wife wants him to go to the church but you know he just has been lax in what he's been doing and i gave him the biggest encouragement i said this is not this is a serendipitous meeting we are talking together and i don't know you from adam but yet you stopped by and god determined that we would talk together and i want to tell you god wants you to get back in church because hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is the habit of some and he's sitting there with his mouth open really and i said yes that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to worship jesus christ and you can't do that apart from the body well you can but god calls us to corporate worship you should this next sunday tell your wife or even before next sunday you're going to church because god wants you there and and he was and i was talking just like that too i was getting kind of bold out there you know and, and he just he received it and he goes okay i will He goes, thanks a lot. And he just started walking away. I took out my equipment and started off. Thanks, Lord. And I just did what I had to do after that. These are, again, serendipity moments where it's just an advantageous moment for somebody who's there. And God sets those things up for us. Now, when it comes to giving the gospel, unless you have the gift of evangelism, you're not going to open up your front door and say, all right, Where's the closest heathen? And you're going to try to head for them and give them the gospel. Do you know you need to be saved? If you have the gift of evangelism, that's normally what they're thinking about. But most of us don't have the gift of evangelism. And so what you have to do, and I'm going to give this as the application at the end as well, is you have to pray for God to set up those God circumstances, those ordained meetings with some random strangers that can be out there so that you can encourage them and you can set them in a direction where they should be. But this digressing here, suffering for the gospel. Well, we give the gospel, and this is why we engage in Bible study, to learn. This is why we live holy lives, so we will not ruin our reputations with those who we are witnessing to. And this is why we fellowship and we worship. All of these things, they are good. But I do want to say that if all we do is go to Bible study and go to church on Sunday morning, get involved in corporate fellowship and worship. If that's all we do, we are falling short of what God wants us to do. God wants us to be in Bible study to learn to share the gospel. God wants us to live holy lives so we won't ruin our reputations with those who are receiving the gospel. And also fellowship and worship, it encourages us spiritually that we can move on. All of those things are excellent and necessary but we have to give the gospel to somebody there's someone that you know that needs the gospel ask for god to provide for you an open door that they would come to you and they had to ask you something they would have a need of some kind and god creates needs in our lives so that we would seek after him that's why we suffer in this life and people look for meaning in the suffering and you have the answers if you have Jesus Christ. And so if all we do is just take in and take in and take in and we don't expend out what we have been received or what we have received from Jesus Christ, we're not fulfilling the great commission that was given to all the disciples and go out and make disciples, go out and give the gospel. Now, we aren't required to close the deal. What I mean by that is get someone to say the sinner's prayer, although it would be great if that happens. That very seldom happens. We are just called to be witnesses. We are simply asked by Paul, like Timothy was, to join in the dissemination of the gospel, to tell people what it is. I don't know if you guys have seen the series, The Way of the Master, but when Kurt Cameron uh, and Ray Comfort, when they go out and give the gospel, they often don't lead people in the sinner's prayer. They tell them what it is to believe and how to have eternal life. That's what they tell them. And then it's that person's choice to believe or not to believe. They don't wrap up the deal. Something like altar calls, you know, that it's good and it's convenient that we can do that, but that's not really what gets people saved. It is the changing of the heart, the repentance, the turning away from this life and turning towards jesus christ we have to convince people that they need to believe in jesus especially as we see the world heading in the wrong direction you can go to people and you can say do you think it's supposed to be like this do you think all this chaos is supposed to be out there do you think that there are efforts out there to make it worse or do you think it's just the way of the world and you can engage in a conversation like that But why would we want to join Paul in suffering for the gospel? Why would I want to put myself through needless suffering? Have you ever been to the carnivals that come into town? Have you ever been on the hammerhead? I don't know if you know what the hammerhead is, but it's two pods. I remember my first experience with a hammerhead and then the zipper, but then the hammerhead, it's just this like like a little car with two people can sit on this side and two people can sit on that side and it's a long arm goes up to a fulcrum and that thing spins around and you get to suffer under three and four and five G's and you feel your face going up and down as, as you're going around like that and most people it makes them sick to do that and then if you haven't had enough on there, you go on the zipper. And the, if you guys know what the zipper is, it goes round and round and the cars turn and I look at that now and I go, why would I engage in such suffering on purpose? Why would I do that? Because other people want me to? Are they crazy? Or what about the tilter world? You know, you're, you're stuck to the wall and that thing just starts spinning and it goes up and around, and you're going, when am I going to get off? This is a nightmare. Why would you do something like that? Engage in that type of suffering on purpose. There's no sense in doing that. But why would you engage in the gospel if suffering is involved in that? Well, there's a benefit to it. In verse 9, it says, Who has saved us and called us to a holy life, and this was by his grace. It says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purposes and grace, or his own purpose and grace. This is our motivation. Because he saved us. If we ever realize what great lengths God went to to save us, to get us the message. Let me ask you this question, maybe you've never pondered, but how many people have died in order to get you the message of the gospel? I dare say thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people have died. In order to get you the gospel. Maybe not you so much. But if you go to China. How many people. Christians have died in China. In order to get the gospel out. Or throughout history. People have laid down their lives. So that we can be here in this church. And we don't often think in those terms. And even now in Afghanistan. There are people dying there. Simply. Because they believe in Jesus. That's it. For no other reason if you want to see that video i I can show it to you but uh, you might be as shocked as i was my heart just broke for all of those people you know just waiting for the taliban to come over and take their lives and so there there have been a lot and god said it doesn't matter i want everybody to hear the gospel doesn't matter how many people die because i can restore their life i can give them new life and it can last forever that's what great lengths god went to not only that but if you go back through history well he gave us the prophets how many prophets we have a few listed in scripture i believe there were thousands more that aren't listed in the bible that they went out and they got persecuted and they were killed or they were stoned whatever the case was they did this so that the gospel would be propagated because god saved them and they realized what depths god went to to do that and so god said i'm sending another i'm sending another here's another prophet and another one and god jesus said you've killed the prophets and and of course the jews were guilty of that they even admitted that but then jesus came so over and over and over god sent messengers saying listen to these guys listen to these guys and they said no we're not going to listen then they sent god the father sent jesus and then they killed jesus too and jesus said that's it it's finished now the gospel going to go out and there's a time where god's grace is going to run out for this world as well and the wrath of god will come because of all the sin all the idolatry that is there he's going to judge the world and god said in the midst of that you're going to suffer because the gospel is going out and because the world hates god he hates jesus christ or the world hates jesus christ it's going to hate you too but we have this hope this blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who is listed in titus chapter 2 verse 13 and so this is our motivation for doing it we consider what god has done for us everything else all these sufferings that i talked about earlier whether it's the equality act or what the government is doing and all of that it doesn't matter a hill of beans our focus is supposed to be the gospel and by the way During this whole COVID thing, a little ad-lib here, during this whole COVID thing, there's almost, well, there is. There's a division that's being created between Christians in churches and the government. I don't know about you, but I get easily frustrated over the idiotic, the stupid mandates that are coming out when there's no knowledge behind it it's all based in fear. I, I get frustrated with that. And my immediate thing is what I always think of who or whom, how many people made these singular decisions like this? Like, is it Fauci? Is he the one that's making these decisions? Is it Biden? Is it somebody behind that? And I want to point to somebody that they are the one and I want to direct my anger, righteous anger, towards them because they're causing all this hardship. They're actually people dying because of these decisions that are being made. People that are dying that wouldn't have normally died as a result of this. And and, uh, Fauci we do know, he lied about being part of the gain of function research in Wuhan, if you understand what any of that is. And Uh, The Biden administration through Saki, said that uh, no, he's not going to lose his job. And he lied to Congress. And Rand Paul is saying he ought to spend four or five years in prison at least because he is responsible for the COVID virus and it getting out and causing the pandemic. But people aren't talking about that. And so I want to focus on an individual. And so some churches, they are taking up the ramparts they're saying okay this is it we're standing against the government and we're going to and some of that is necessary i get that and it's hard to determine well how far do you go and how far do you resist or do you just capitulate what do you do and god gives us wisdom in this of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves if it's loving god then do it if it's loving your neighbor as yourself then do it if it's full of hatred rage discord jealousy envy strife faction dissensions all of those things we're not to do it god gives us wisdom but we want to be careful as believers that we are not holding up the banner for some type of social movement out there we want to hold up the banner for the gospel because that is the answer You know, in the Old Testament, when it came to the worship of false gods, the only thing that went out was the gospel. And then people brought their skulls, their, their dark arts, all that stuff, and they burned them just because the gospel went out. And the same thing is true with us. If we just give the gospel out, if we just speak to people about Jesus Christ, get that ingrained in them, and then work on everything else after that, because everything else is a result of a person being saved. So that's what we're supposed to do. We shouldn't be reluctant like Timothy was. Uh, Timothy was even encouraged in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so Timothy, I don't think, was an evangelist. And Paul told him, do the work of an evangelist. Go out and give the gospel. And he could say that to any one of us, not just to Timothy, because he was a pastor. He goes on to say, This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. Now what about these things? Destroyed death. Death is the physical death, not the spiritual death. He hasn't destroyed the spiritual death that is going to remain forever. Daniel twelve two and Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, it lasts forever. Death lasts forever. Punishment lasts forever. Contempt lasts forever for those who reject Jesus Christ. For those who accept him, accept the gospel, eternal life with joy and peace and love and companionship and fellowship, all of those things are going to be forever. All the pain and sorrow and suffering is going to be wiped out. So that's what Jesus destroyed when he came. No more death. Now, it does mean that we will, quote, as Paul refers to it, fall asleep unless the rapture takes place. We're all going to go to the by and by. And I don't know if I look forward to that or I want to resist that or I'm torn between the two. Just like Paul was. Paul was torn. He said, it's far better for you that I remain, but I'd rather be in glory with Jesus Christ. That should be our attitude as well. But then he brought life. He brought eternal life, not eternal existence, because we all exist. Total annihilation, the doctrine that we just cease to exist, it doesn't exist, according to Scripture. It is something that goes on forever and ever and ever. And then he brought immortality. Now, how long do you survive if you're immortal? We can't even grasp how long that is. It is just forever, forever doesn't even fully describe how long it is. You know, how old are we? Like me being 45, you know, I've lived four decades and five years. And and then the rest of us, some people in here are older, you know, 60 and 70. And, you know, some people are younger and you think, wow, I've lived most of my life and uh, it's just, Going by and by, and it's, it's happened so quickly. You're not going to say that in, with immortality. It's gone by so quickly. You're always looking ahead. You're not worried about what's behind, and it never ends. You know, I, I started thinking about this immortality. <clears throat> Do you guys know how many stars are in our galaxy? Now, I got this from Mister Olson in astronomy at Southwestern College in 1977. I loved his class. It was a wonderful class. He would show up looking like Captain Kirk. He had a tricorder. He had the shirt on. You know, he had the symbol for Starfleet here. He had the funky pants with the flare. And he had the boots. and, And it was in a planetarium. And he would have the planetarium operational where the, as soon as you walk into class, you look up and you see the stars going by. And then the music that was going along with that, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And that that was all going on as you came into class every time. And then he would show pictures, slides. You guys know what slides are? He would have this slide projector that would show pictures of the aliens from Star Trek that would go by, you know, one at a time. And so Pink Floyd, dark side of the moon, the stars going by. He comes out, look like Captain Kirk. And he's telling us all this. I was just fascinated with the class. Star Trek was big back then. And so he said, do you know how many stars are in our galaxy? And all of us go, no. And he said, and I've confirmed this later, there are more stars than there are grains of sand on earth in our galaxy. And then he said, do you know how many galaxies there are? He said, there are more galaxies than there are grains of sand on this earth. How many is that? You know, they started to guesstimate how many stars there are the Milky Way, it, they say it's 100 billion stars, maybe. Uh, it results in a very large number of total stars in the universe. And it, it's in... They think that even the galaxies are in the trillions. Trillions. And that's only because we can only see so far. And the reason they came to that conclusion is... Maybe you've heard this before the deep field in space, what they did is if you took a grain of sand and your arm was able to stretch out six feet and you put it up in the sky, a telescope focused on that grain of sand out there. And the amount of galaxies they counted that they could count was 10,000 in that grain of sand right there in the night sky. Anywhere that they pointed was the same. There would be tens of thousands of galaxies, each one with more stars than the grains of sand on Earth. Now, the Milky Way galaxy is a medium-sized galaxy. It's not even a big galaxy. Andromeda is going to swallow us up. Don't have to worry about it. It's not going to happen in our lifetime, but it's coming towards us, and it's going to suck us right up. It's twice as big as our Milky Way galaxy. And so you start thinking about that. You go, okay, so if there are trillions of galaxies there are trillions and trillions of stars and how many planets around each one of those stars i mean it is you can't even count that high you don't have enough time even if you live for all of eternity you probably wouldn't get up to that time so what if what if you visited one star per second in the whole universe how long would that take well, some guesstimate it would be a quadrillion or a quintillion years. And you say, "Well, how long is that?" Well, a, a, I got to make sure I got this down right. Um, I think it is a quadrillion, is one with 24 zeros behind it. If you visited one star per second, now, I think it's going to be much more than that. It could be a septillion. Quadrillion, quintillion, septillion, uh, sextillion, septillion, octillion, no-nillion, dectillion is what they have. And then it goes on from there. It's probably way up there. It's like one with 48 zeros behind it. That's eternally. If you visited one per second, if the fall had not happened, if Adam and Eve did not eat of the fruit, we would be going to each one of those. How long would it take? Forever. It would have taken forever. What's the un- new universe going to be like? I don't know, but it's going to take forever. It, that's God forever, immortal. You can't do all of that. It's just going to go on forever and ever and ever. And this is what Jesus brought to us. And every time we land on a new planet, if we go to a new planet, if that's what God has us do, we're just going to go... <gasps> This one's better than the last 40 million I just visited. Look at this place. It is just one. And that's what's in store for us. And we forget that that's what we're looking at. You know, you see some of these creatures that God created and they are so colorful, poisonous probably, but they're so colorful. The little frogs that have the multicolors on them probably kill you if you just touched them but but there's other things that are just so beautiful in the, the flowers, I noticed there was an iris on one of the slides up here, just the purple that was in there and the colors that are hidden in the earth, whether it's a rock collector or whether it's the, uh, I think there's a place in Utah that has all these lines and in China and all these different colors and the mountain, just, it's just beautiful and God is going to create a world like that just full of color and full of beauty and we have all of eternity. That's what we're looking for. And we're we're gonna look back at this for maybe half a second and then forget about it. We're gonna go, huh, remember the pandemic? Huh, we thought oh that was t- look at this. Oh, oh that's new and you're gonna forget about the pandemic. You're gonna forget about all of this stuff. I get kind of excited looking forward to this. You know, I can't wait to get there, the Jetsons, or I'm just going to fly, or whatever the case is going to be. It's going to be a great existence, and this is available for people instead of the everlasting contempt and the everlasting punishment. Now, who would not want to be a part of that? Well, those influenced by the devil, the enemy, Satan. They are the ones, and they are going to oppose you if you get out there and you give the gospel. You know, we may not be a preacher, we may not be an apostle, we may not be a teacher, but we can share the gospel, and we are called to do good works, which have been ordained for us before the foundations of the earth. And verse 11 says, and the gospel, I was appointed, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. Now, a herald is like a preacher. Go out there and you just preach. And you tell people about what's coming. You tell them the bad news and you tell them the good news. A messenger is a representative or an apostle. He was one who was sent. He is God's representative who is heralding what is to come. And then he is also this teacher. It's more like a doctor or a master. He is the one that's setting up doctrine. And so that's what Paul says that he was. He was appointed a herald, an apostle, or a teacher, or a preacher, a messenger, and a master or a doctor. And he has been the one that has given us most of our doctrine in the New Testament. And we're supposed to be looking at all this. If we're not a preacher, if we're not an apostle, if we're not a teacher, we can still share the gospel and join with Paul in the suffering of it, just like he asked Timothy to do so. So this is an application question. Am I sharing the gospel with others? More specifically, am I doing the work that God has ordained me to do? You're fellowshipping, good. You're praying, good. Your Bible study, good. You're worshiping God, good. Are you sharing the gospel? Are you telling the people who are in need? You know, uh, Gavin Newsom wants to bring every Afghani who is able to come to California to California. If he does that and we get an Afghan population here, we'll probably come in contact with one of them or more of them. I find myself regularly coming in contact with Muslims and I want to be able to share with them what the gospel is. Now, they may be closed. It's not my job to close the deal, seal the deal, so to speak. It's my job to be a witness. Same thing might apply to you. I would encourage you to read up on Sharia law, to read up on the Quran. Get yourself a copy if you possibly can because the Muslim influence, and again, it's not a peaceful religion, but you may have peaceful Muslims who are out there. It is our job to give them the gospel. Do you think it's an accident that God wants to bring them here? He wants you and I to witness to them. That's why he's bringing them here. And we're lamenting like, oh, they're going to ruin our country. You know, xenophobia and all of that. Just forget about that. Just go, okay, here's my opportunity. Someone from a foreign country who was born in a foreign land, they're here now. And that doesn't even talk about all those people we know in our families. God placed us with one another according to the book of Acts because we have the most opportune time to be saved. And that's what our focus is supposed to be. Not everything that's going on around us. Oh, that government. Oh, that president. Oh, that cabinet. Oh, that school board. Forget about that. Stand up for righteousness. That's good. But focus on the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be focusing on. And Romans 10.14 says, How then can... They call on the one who they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those, not evangelists, who bring good news. Not necessarily just the evangelists. It can be us as well. And Paul goes on to say, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet... I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Normally when you do inductive Bible study, you go through the particular passage and you look for key words. The gospel is mentioned four times, entrusted twice, suffering twice, and ashamed four times. There can be instances where we are ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Christian and you don't want to say too much. We are encouraged not to be ashamed. Onesiphorus who helped Paul out, who he will talk about here in a minute, he was not ashamed to see Paul in prison. And when the world would ridicule a believer, they should never be ashamed, the believer. And when the world would deride a disciple for sharing the gospel, they should not be ashamed for sharing the gospel. And when the world would scoff at your commitment to Christ, do not be ashamed. And when you associate with others who are suffering for the gospel, join them. And do not be ashamed. Verse 13 says, What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ, guard the good deposit which was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What is it that is the good deposit? It's the faith of believers. That's what has been entrusted to Timothy. That has been what has been entrusted to us. And doing so, only by the power and reliance on god or the holy spirit verse 15 says for know that everyone in the province of asia has deserted me including uh phagellus and hermogenes <clears throat> now there are going to be those who oppose you on the outside but those who have been inside the church that are going to oppose you as well and you just need to be aware of that verse 16 says for the lord Or May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. So we are to keep in mind... Bible study is good, fellowshipping is good, prayer is good, serving the body of Christ is good, worshipping Jesus is good, sharing the gospel is good, and not being ashamed of the gospel and those who suffer under it is good. That's the lesson that Paul is delivering here. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16 says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And I'll leave you with this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. May God grant you the wisdom to share the gospel. May you be involved in studying to show yourself approved. And may you not worry or fret if suffering comes your way as a result of you loving Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for Paul. And even though he was at death's door while writing this, he was concerned about Timothy and being able to share the gospel and not being ashamed and being reminded of the eternal life which has come to all of us. And may that be our motivation, just your grace, Father, the goodness that you have shown to us and what you have prepared for us. May we look up as our redemption draws near. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Please stand.